I'm Talib Vizram, and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we'll learn about a new toy robot that could help children socialize, a good alternative to rosé, and some handy productivity tips. This is your Fast Break. Working from home is looking like it's here to stay for the near future. And how to stay sane during that time is what Fast Company assistant editor Pavithra Mohan is here to explain. And just a note, you may hear her husband in the background on the phone. Just another reminder of the new reality of working from home. So it's been a few months of self-isolation now, and it doesn't look like that's changing anytime soon. Successfully navigating remote work for the long run requires a starkly different approach than the occasional work from home day of the past. Melissa Gregg is the author of Works Intimacy and Counterproductive Time Management in the Knowledge Economy. Here are her tips to help you get through it with your health and sanity intact. Fight the pressure to overcompensate. The physical ritual of going into an office every day contributes to people's sense of providing value and having job security. Its absence can create a subconscious concern of being out of sight and out of mind. It's easy to fall into a pattern of working longer hours, which is a fast track to burnout. In the climate we find ourselves in today, it's critical to find a balance between meeting job expectations and caring for our loved ones and ourselves. We have to recognize that circumstances are out of our control and forge a new relationship to our work instead of letting feelings of inadequacy drive us to overextend ourselves. Establish new rules of engagement. Setting up ground rules can help you avoid the pitfalls of undefined expectations. Create shifts with your living partners to manage responsibilities such as doing housework or walking the dog. These new rules should extend beyond physically present company too. Signal your status to your friends and family by setting up some digital boundaries around your work hours, such as logging out of chat platforms or letting them know if you're going to have a particularly busy day. And don't forget to make it clear to coworkers that you're taking breaks too, to promote mutual self-care. Connect in a mindful manner. The former nine to five office structure provided set expectations for contact between employees and managers. Research has shown that this routine is fundamentally disrupted when connected devices bring your work into the home. Now our devices are a primary window to the outside world as we operate in isolation. So give yourself a chance to disconnect as you would during a normal day in the office. And in our personal lives, we should monitor our exposure to the news cycle along with communication channels. We don't know yet what impact this experience will have on us. Many are already noting the sense of exhaustion that comes from back-to-back -back meetings. So to work sustainably for the foreseeable future, we have to have a different set of expectations. If we can be intentional about our interactions with our tools, both personally and professionally, we can reduce the lasting impact that this work from home experience has on our lives. I was actually just thinking about how when we left our desks back in March, we thought we might be back in just a few days. Come to think of it, I, th I think I left a few things on my desk, a self-heating coffee mug, also a little basketball and shuffleboard desk game. They must be gathering a bit of dust by now. We'll be right back after this short break. Over a decade ago, the world fell for an unlikely romance between two robots in the Pixar classic WALL-E. 
That seemed like a long way off from imagining actual robots in our midst. But since then, there have been several attempts at creating real robots for us to interact with. Here to explain the latest is Fast Company senior writer, Mark Wilson. Thanks for coming on the show, Mark. Yep, thank you. First, let's hear what, or should I say who, this robot is. <laughs> yeah, I, I never know whether to say it, he, she, um, <laughs> them. But yeah, so Moxie is, is a $1,500 robot that's designed for children, actually particularly children on the autism spectrum, but seven pounds, it's absolutely adorable. And just looking at its face, it's, it's almost like an anime character crossed with E.T., um, you just sort of can't take your eyes off of this thing. And what's Moxie's background story? So it's being launched by a startup called Embodied, and it's been designed by Fuse Project, which is a, a really big design firm in San Francisco. Moxie was originally developed for children on the autism spectrum, but, you know, during the development process, they realized that, you know, a robot that was anthropomorphic and, and good at listening to children would really be good at listening to all children. So now it's being marketed pretty much to all kids. Can you tell us a little bit more about Embodied? So Embodied is founded by Paolo Perginian, and he actually sold a robotic vacuum cleaner to iRobot. So imagine iRobot has this robotic vacuum cleaner, and Paolo comes around and actually develops one that's better than what iRobot has. And so they buy out his company, and he becomes the CTO for iRobot for a number of years. He later, you know, founded Embody after leaving iRobot, and it's backed with $41 million in investments from pretty much every big name in robotics and AI. I mean, talking about Amazon, Intel, Sony, Toyota, and a lot of these companies, you know, working on robotics aren't really making a lot of money off of them. So to see all of them sort of team up on this one project is pretty interesting. Wow. So how did Paolo Paginian get into this pretty niche business of social robot building? Yeah, well, Paolo tells me he was he was in his teens when he was at the movie theater and he first saw the Pixar short Luxo Jr., which, if you remember it, it's a story of, of two lamps, a sort of a parent lamp and a, and a child lamp that's jumping around with a ball and, you know, by the end of it, you don't see two lamps. You you really do see these two characters. And he was taken by that. And after that, he he went to get his PhD in robotics. And of course, now the the lamps or, or one of the lamps is, is part of the logo of Pixar, right? Yeah, I mean, the lamp always opens up. I, I believe the lamp still opens up every Pixar short. Uh, so it, it's it's yes, it's so it's so important um, to Pixar's DNA. Yeah. Can you describe what role Eve Bahar played? So Paolo is, you know, launching his own startup, Evolution Robotics. Uh, it's his first robotics startup, and he hires uh, Eve Behar, who is a famous designer who runs the studio Fuse Project. And Behar helped, you know, collaborate, you know, what what this robotic vacuum that Paolo wanted to launch uh, look like. And this robotic vacuum uh, would be a, com a competitor with with iRobot's robotic vacuum. Paolo hired Eve to work on the design language of some of the newer um, Roombas, which I believe is the S9 generation version. But you know, they worked together there, and I think he had a good re working relationship. And now, you know, Paolo tapped him for this for this new project as well. How did Bahar's design philosophy instruct his designing of Moxie? Yeah, so Bahar's interesting in that uh, you know th the work he did with Paolo before you know, at Evolution Robots, at iRobot, you know, Behar's approach was very much 
let's make a robot that doesn't pretend to be human, right? Don't give it a face. Let a robot be a robot. Let a computer be a computer. And so that way, sort of the relationship between a person and a robot is, is very clear. But when it came to Moxie, when Moxie's mission was originally, you know, how do we reach kids on the autism spectrum? How do we teach them about emotions? Behar sort of changed his tune. He realized that, you know, when it comes to kids on the autism spectrum, you know, body language and anthropomorphism are, are very important and actually not just elements of a character, but elements of user interface that are really important. So when he was imagining Moxie, uh, he admits to breaking his own rules and, and he gave Moxie uh, a very cute body and an, an adorable face. How might Moxie stand out in the crowd of other social robots that haven't been so successful? Well, you know, they, all those other robots have shut down. Um, <laughs> these, these startups just tend not to be very successful. And so I, I think there are a few things here. One is that, that Moxie's funding is, is pretty good. In robotics, 41 million isn't as much as it probably sounds like. A startup called Anki had over $200 million in funding, I believe, be before they shut down. So it's not like they have an unlimited well in which to dip, but they do have a really solid backing. This isn't just a Kickstarter project, right, that, that's floating on $500,000 and promise things. And, you know, the rest of it is that I think there's implied that there should be a really good technical competence here to solve a problem that hasn't really been solved in robotics, which is how do you communicate with children? You know, even Amazon's Alexa, with this really rich AI it has, isn't that great at, at talking to kids who are, you know, under 10 years old. And you hear a lot of stories about this from parents. And so what they believe they've done with Moxie is, you know, they, they claim to have solved a lot of this problem with not just having a conversation, but actually having a conversation with children. It's, it's one of those points I'm a bit skeptical that they can totally pull off because, you know, I have kids. Uh, sometimes I have trouble talking to my own kids. And, and so it's hard for me to imagine that they could automate a perfect AI at this time to talk to all children. But at the same time, they, you know, you look at what they're doing and, and there's a lot of incredible work being done here in terms of building an anthropomorphic robot. So a robot that, that really copies the gestures, the eye contact, actually, uh, <laughs> that, that people would have and, and you know, other, other little sort of micro UX interactions that will make this robot really feel like a friend, I guess. Let's get into the design. I can't believe it's already been 12 years since Wally -E came out, but <laughs> uh, it makes me feel old again. Uh, but does Moxie really look like Wally's -E love interest, Eve? So, so I met Moxie over a, a Zoom call, so in full disclosure, but I was even taken by Moxie through the Zoom call, which is kind of crazy to think. Like Moxie was making eye contact with me through a webcam somehow, battering its eyes and was was really, really something. But yeah, so, so you know, Moxie is, I don't know exactly how tall, maybe a foot and a half tall, seven pounds. You can cradle Moxie almost like a baby. Paolo did. Uh, I can tell that's how he carries Moxie around. You know, Moxie's body is generally just a cylinder with, with you know, a little piece that bends in the middle so it can do really simple gesturing. Moxie almost looks like a penguin, I would say, you know, a little stocky. Two little arms that flap out just a bit. No articulating fingers, just one finger that can point. Uh, that's all Moxie's got. But the magic is largely in Moxie's face. And Moxie's face is this curved OLED screen that Embodied had to, they couldn't buy it. So they actually had to build the screen from scratch, which was a, which was a really big pain. 
but they did want that curved screen face that is like right out of Wally, right out of Eve's face. And then, you know, with that screen, they really give Moxie these incredible, huge green eyes that can change shape impossibly fast. Like, I, I can't quite describe what it's like to see, you know, these eyes change shape from these big, you know, anime, lovey eyes to skeptical kind of cat eyes to triangles, ovals. But, but they figured out a way to do that really fast and that doesn't feel unnatural or cheesy. And so mix all of that together, and then Moxie can also, you know, track your gaze and make eye contact with you as you speak to it. And so it's very easy to be sucked into to Moxie when you combine all of those things. So you talked about having a Zoom call with Moxie, um, uh, you know, a, a digital call with a robot. It's kind of a, <laughs> another level of futuristic. Um, what did it sound like? Yeah, Moxie sounds like a sort of genderless child voice. <laughs> but then has this little aftertaste, I guess, of that robot voice we all know, <laughs> like from, from all of these, you know, voice AI robot systems. It's kind of like, you know, a, a child that has been, you know, hooked into the matrix, I guess. My name is Moxie. I'm a new robot. What is your name? I'm Riley. It's nice to meet you, Riley. What do you do to get ready for bed? Brush my teeth and read a story. I'm so excited for you to tell me about the dentist. I've never been to one. You don't have teeth. But I can still smile. Beyond the sleek design features, what does Moxie actually do? So Moxie's meant to teach your child exactly what is, is up for question. But through conversations, and these conversations are actually downloaded as sort of weekly curriculum, through these conversations, the robot's meant to teach your child emotional awareness mm. and then question marks. So, so that's what we don't quite know. I think this goes back to Moxie sort of being designed for, for children on the autism spectrum. So, you know, I heard, I heard them talk a lot about, oh, emotional awareness. Uh, Moxie can, can actually understand emotions and voice, supposedly. Uh, Moxie can absolutely express different emotions within their child voice. But what I'm wondering is, is Moxie going to teach math, right? Is Moxie going to teach science? There's a $60 a month subscription that you have to pay for if, if you use Moxie. And we do know that that subscription would include weekly content. We know that that content will last about half an hour to an hour max, but that's, that's about it. So I think the big question about Moxie to me is, is not even so much is, you know, the robot designed well, then do these conversations work? And then what is Moxie actually teaching my child? What are they actually doing together? Is that worth a long-term relationship, right, with, with my child? Well, I imagine parents will be wondering how safe the robot is to leave alone with their children. What precautions has the company taken? Yeah, I mean, they've done basically all of the normal stuff. Moxie's COPA compliance, you know, I was assured that they're not uploading anything to the cloud they don't have to. So, for instance, you know, Moxie can track your gaze. Uh, that means, you know, Moxie's using computer vision to look at your child. None of that leaves the robot, from what I understood. And the way Paolo put it is that, you know, the only way he imagines you could hack Moxie would be to literally grab Moxie and sort of plug into Moxie and, and sort of recode that way. But I don't know. You know, I feel like all of these technological startups appear safe until they aren't. 
And so it's it's really hard to say that, you know, they're doing the job with safety well or they're not, you know, they're clearly trying. But any of these platforms that gets big enough, I, I think, becomes vulnerable in a different way. So what can we expect next for Moxie? Well, we're supposed to see Moxie arrive later this year. We don't really know how many units will be sold. You know, I, I would imagine based upon history that this will be more of a soft rollout. You know, I, I could imagine them selling a few dozen and then a few hundred and then as many as they can. But I think it's a pretty big pile of, of we'll see. You know, I, I do suspect some people will get Moxie this year. But if Moxie takes off or, you know, for the more general populace, I, I would bet it's, it's probably going to be a 2021 thing. But that's my hunch. That's not what the company's saying. And you mentioned the $60 a month subscription fee. That's a, it's a little bit more than the price tag for, for the usual notebooks and binders that kids need. <laughs> well, you know, $1,500 for Moxie, it's what? A, a very nice laptop. And then this, the $60 a month is, I guess, probably Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and one other streaming service. So, you know, it comes down to the quality of that content. Well, it was great having you on the show, Mark. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. When I was in high school, I remember teachers talking about possibly incorporating PlayStation games into lessons. Now that we have talking and teaching robots, the old PlayStation seems pretty antiquated. Next, we'll hear from Liz Seagren again on how she's getting by in quarantine. I have been totally obsessed with a new show called Normal People, which is now streaming on Hulu. It's a story of a couple that is based in Ireland. The boy comes from a working class family and comes from a very happy family. And the girl comes from a very wealthy family that's very dysfunctional. And they meet and they fall in love and the, the show traces their relationship through their college years. And as somebody who met my husband in college, it just gives me a total flashback to those years. That was kind of a perfect time in my life, to be honest. I feel nothing for you. Nothing. Why are you saying this? Her new boyfriend is more in line with her social class. Are you dating anyone problematic at the moment? I haven't had a midnight call from you in a while. At this time, when we're all stuck at home and we feel like time is standing still, I thought it was really wonderful to sort of go back into my own past and remember a different time in my life. I've had so many friends who have talked to me about how they love meditation and I've tried to do it in the past and never really done it successfully. I've sat around very silently, feeling very frustrated about why it doesn't seem to be working. But during this pandemic, I've been thinking a lot about my own mental health. And so I decided to, to seriously take up meditation. And let me tell you, it has totally transformed my life. I think that I didn't really fully understand what meditation was all about until I started using it. And really, meditation is this very powerful way to step out of your own emotions and your own thoughts and it, it allows you to feel like you have so much more control over yourself and that's been really helping me during this time. I'm really lucky because my company has bought a six month long subscription to the Calm app for everybody at the company. But if you're somebody who has uh, the ear of somebody in HR, maybe that's something that you can suggest to them. 
honest with you, I have been drinking a lot during this period of self-isolation. When the quarantine first started, while everybody else was going out to buy toilet paper, my family went out to get cases of wine, and we actually drank most of it. And it was pretty good until we realized that we were getting way too hungover. So I was in search of an entirely different beverage. I found this amazing beverage called Sunwink. It's founded by a woman out in San Francisco, and she creates these delicious, fizzy drinks that are full of really potent herbs like ginger and turmeric. And they're really good for you, and they taste really delicious, kind of like a cocktail, but you don't have the hangover the next day. The other amazing thing about the brand is that they have been offering Zoom classes on the weekends for free. And I know that we're all experiencing a little bit of Zoom fatigue, but I've really enjoyed these classes. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sunwink had a painting class where everybody could paint a canvas and it was really fun. I drank my, my Sunwink and uh, painted a canvas and it was really awesome. That's it for this week, and happy Memorial Day. I know most of us won't have our beach or barbecue time this year, but we'll certainly make up for it. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizran.